The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S.com. This episode of the Podcast of Terror is brought to you by our friends at Statosphere Merch. Use our coupon code TERROR for 15% off your order at statusphere.com. Welcome to episode 66 of the Podcast of Terror, a production of the Galactic Network. This is a podcast about all things scary. I'm your host, Matt Stein, and with me as always is Corey. I drink root beer out of weird fucking bottles, Scott. Corey, how are you? Well, I tried eating it out of my hands, and it just didn't feel right. <laughs> you have to make ice cubes out of it, and then put the ice cubes in your mouth, and let it soak just into your monk? jowls. Just do it like a Encino chipmunk thing? Yes. Yeah, just pack your cheeks full of uh, root beer cubes, and you'll be set for a day. For more on this podcast, including show notes, contact information, subscription links, you can go to gncast.com slash pot. You can chat with us on our Slack channel during our shows at gncast.com slash sign up. While you're there, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Podcast here is spoiler heavy. We're going to be talking about Psycho this week. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. And I swear, and I had to rush through that because I feel like I need to explain the fact that there is a whole shitload of ruckus going on back here. Can you uh, describe the ruckus? Sir? I'm, <laughs> it's a fucking ruckus. We uh we have two what what two guests. I'm getting to you. Um, <laughs> fuck Christina. Uh, we're joined by two of the producers of the soon-to-be hit television sensation Karate Tortoise, Annie Chang and Christina Miller. Outside what? of Karate Tortoise, uh, you guys do a ton of shit. Christina, I was trying to look Ooh. up your show, and before we started recording, I already creeped on Annie because I'm like, I watched you on TV last night. <laughs> um. So why don't you guys go ahead and talk about what you're doing, Christina, when, whenever you talk about what you're doing, I want you to explain what you're doing. Physically right now, what are you doing? Right now, I'm making soup, and I just put it in a bowl for myself. Podcast Terror First, someone is cooking chicken noodle soup while we're recording the episode. <laughs> don't you and know you're I'm walking over to bottle? the couch. Psycho. <laughs> awesome. What? I said, is it to make you feel better after watching Psycho because it was so scary? <laughs> oh, um... It's more to make me feel better after eating a shitload of steak and Ooh. drinking a lot of champagne last night. <laughs> Sounds like a classy evening. It was kind of classy. I, 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 my day job is babysitting, and one of my babysitting families took me out for birthday dinner. Wait, someone have a birthday? Mine was last. It was uh, last weekend, well, last Saturday. Late happy birthday! If you throw a dollar at Corey, <laughs> he'll, he'll do a dance for you. I mean, make sure it's what a if coin. It, can I get a dance just because it was my birthday? <laughs> uh, Corey, you're really on the spot right now. You should probably start dancing. Yeah, thank you very much. Like, the music you pull off is looking like the gopher in Caddyshack. Like, uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. This is awesome. Uh, well, Annie, we didn't really get to hear what you do. What do you do? I, um, I, I'm producing Karate Tortoise, like you said. I'm also an actor. Which is why you were creepily watching me at night. Well, um, so it, for, for, sorry, finish what you're saying, and then I'll go. No, back. no, no, no. I mean, that's that's about it. That's, oh, okay. So now I just sound like a complete creep. I had I had, I really enjoyed yeah. Master of None, and then I found out who you were. So I was like, oh, I should probably go back and watch this just because. And I didn't realize that you were who you were in that show. <laughs> you know, and not to like be a dick about it, but it was like I just remember watching that episode and be like, wow, that Asian chick's kind of being a bitch. For no reason. And I'm like, ooh. Your true self coming out, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's so funny because so many people, like, recognize me from that or, like, like would write me and be like, oh, my gosh, like, great job or watching. And I'm like, I don't even re- I don't even remember what I you did. You said, like, that. four words. 
something about yeah. sea bass. That's all I remember. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's all I remember. So it's just so funny to me that people are like, whoa, master of none. And I'm like, I, my, I barely did anything. <laughs> it's still a hell of a lot cooler than anything I've done. I've just been called a fat hipster by someone on Twitter. That's it. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> getting trolled is the definition of success so you've made it well, we didn't really get trolled the lady she was just a dumb bitch she had opinions about something that we'll actually get into in a little bit um and we we were kind of taken aback of how offended she was by us because we're nobodies yeah. and we tried to turn it around she was actually very nice to us in the end and we i i invited her onto the show but that never happened oh right. man well if you're listening woman come on the show <laughs> i would be very surprised because it averages every other week i complain about being called a fat hipster by some nobody like I, i'm a nobody but she's less of a nobody we are people on the internet like yeah Fuck it's me. not that big of a deal it's kind of funny and and i think we hold on to it because we're waiting for other people to insult us on the internet that's true we've only been insulted once well we'll insult you now look how messy your hair is jesus christ where there you go. I've never seen you more beautiful, actually, Ooh, Matt. But nice. <laughs> hey, can we talk about uh, Christina's work? I took a shower. Yes. Oh, sure. Um, I'm associate producing Karate Tortoise with Annie and Mike, who is also on your show, right? Yep, Billy and Mike were. Yep, Billy and Mike. Um, Ryan and Sunny, and produced and wrote and web series before this called B, about best friends and their phones. Um, and I'm also an actress. And I did act in that web series. Do you? Yeah, you were Bettina? Yes, that's me. Is there anybody in New York that's not an actor or an actress or trying to do something? A lot. Um, I mean, a lot. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, Annie can speak to this because I've never lived in L.A., but it, I think it's more so in L.A. that everybody's an actor. But in New York, I know a lot of actors because I'm an actor. But And I feel like we, Corey and I, have mistakenly fallen into like this group of actors just because we met jack and dan and jack was trying to do stand-up and be a comedian and then we just kind of branched off from there and now i know a bunch of weird actors <laughs> and i say weird in a very loving manner as opposed to weird sure, people sure. in bands or weird podcasters that's true we're just a different type of weird new york is not that bad la you walk around and it's everybody like your waiter you're the teller at the bank the guy mowing someone's lawn like ev everybody is an actor <laughs> Every San Francisco and Marin, which is the area that I'm in, uh, basically, it's it's similar. It's where all of those people go to get away from L.A. Uh, yeah. So they're they're all there, but they're just not as interested in being bothered. Right. <laughs> Annie, are you in New York or L.A. right now? I am in California right now. Okay. I'm, uh, so I know we're very <laughs> sad about it. All right. All right. I, I knew you, you were back and forth. I didn't know if you. Mind you, I only know what I've heard you talk about on podcasts that I've listened to you on. So be presumptuous <laughs> yeah, about your life. I'm um I'm looking to maybe buy a place in LA. So right now, this is what you see behind. I'm at the house I grew up in in Orange County. Um the OC. Oh, so boy. yeah. California. Uh yeah. It's, it's terrible that we're just so polluted with references from TV. <laughs> He says to an actress on TV. Nice. <laughs> I suppose we should. Well, hey, thank you both for coming. Thank you. Really cool oh, you thank on. you for having us. Like seven people listen to this, so you really, you're just wasting your <laughs> We're going to try to get you at least to like 11. Uh, hey, squad yeah. goals. We're going to 
do it. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> Wait, I need to, so it's happening right now and the the link you sent me, can I post that on my Facebook? Yes. The the like YouTube one? Oh, yeah. The YouTube one, yeah. If you post the other one, then everyone and their mother can join our call and then <laughs> that's a bad time. Oh wait, I'll post it too. Um Oh my gosh. Can we talk about Psycho? Because I'm not <laughs> We got to get through the news first. Oh, so sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> We're just, I want to talk about I, it too. I get off topic really easily, so this is what you're in for. Um, like, what was that? I said I like off topic. It's okay. okay. Cool, cool. So excited. Um, let's, like I said, let's do some news here real quick. Not a whole lot happening. Corey really picked from the bottom of the shit barrel. It's not his fault. <laughs> it's where I live. <laughs> you live atop Mount Beautiful, sir. Not a shit bucket. Uh, first of all, Amazon Studios has acquired the spec script called Holland, Michigan. Uh, apparently it topped the 2013 blacklist. None of this means anything to me. Maybe the <laughs> actors in the room know. Who acquired? Amazon. What the fuck is a blacklist? Oh. Other than like generally a bad thing to be. Wait, I don't understand. I. Uh, <laughs> did, did I like say a sentence that made no sense, but in my head it made sense? Right. No, I oh. got, const- I, I'm, but I'm going to look at it so that maybe then I understand better. Uh, Blacklist, I believe, is a list of different scripts that are, are kind of roaming around at any given time. Okay. That that makes more sense. Usually a blacklist is like you can't go into that porn store anymore because you got caught jerking off in the corner. No, the blacklist is a screen. It's like an online sort of thing where you can submit your script and then oh. like professionals will like look at it. It used to have a lot more weight. And then now it like sort of does and sort of doesn't. But when you said blacklist, I thought you were talking about. The show, the show, and that's the problem is blacklist <laughs> is so many things apparently. <laughs> but now I understand. Yeah, it's like a screenwriting thing. Okay, well that makes sense. Yeah, this was a spec script from a gentleman named Andrew Sodrowski, and uh, in 2013 he submitted it to that, and apparently it's been picked up by Amazon. So what it is is it's a Hitchcockian style thriller suitable for today uh, with black humor uh-huh. in which a Midwestern housewife suspects that her husband is having an affair. And as she peels back the surface of her seemingly perfect life, she learns that her husband might be leading a dark secret life. Dun, dun, dun. Hmm. Uh, a seemingly perfect life. Always the premise for a good horror movie. That's true. Or the worst horror movie. Or the worst. Horror <laughs> I was movie. to say literally every story could go this way. Or 90% of the horror movies in between porn. Do you say porn? No, I said oh, horror. horror. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Thought we were talking about porn. I got excited. Um, there's no release date or anything. I closed the story. Like, uh, there's not a release date, but Amazon picking it up. Usually, what they'll do is they'll run something and do a pilot first and have people test it out and see if they like it, and they'll vote on it, and then they'll pick up the best ones and take them to series. Huh. What is it called? It's called Holland, Michigan, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a Michigan. weird name, but yeah, like that movie Paris, Texas, which is a real place. Right. Is Holland, Michigan not? I don't know. I probably should have like checked. It is. <laughs> it absolutely is. It, it's it's not as yeah, it apt for horror as Hell, Michigan is, but that seems so cliche at this time. <laughs> Where in it, Michigan? Oh, it's right on the lake. Holland, Michigan, like very sort of secluded. Is it like where a horror film or series would take place? I mean, it, it doesn't seem dissimilar from the kinds of towns that you would see in like Scream, where it's a very, you know, kind of has that small town feel, not exactly backwards, but not super up to date city life or anything. Um, it's a sweet little town. Yeah. But that's that's I mean, we're talking about the idyllics of you've got a perfect life and all of a sudden things start falling apart. That's the kind of scenario you would be in that. Oh. That's what you kind of imagine. Mm-hmm. 
Usually, though, like a, a nice, quiet town could make a good scene for a horror program. Yeah, I mean, you don't see a lot of horror program? movies. That it, horror movies go one of two ways. They take people from average places and they bring them to a very bizarre place and introduce them as the outsider. And they're like, how do we make them deal with this? Mm. Or they take the very idyllic place that is is what everybody kind of knows and what they expect is like, this is normal. This is the, the leave it to beaver kind of scenario and then they pull that apart and show the layers underneath or they introduce something horrific to that uh so it's it's not it's not like it's anti-stereotypical it's just we'll have to see what they do with it the the other aspect of oh my husband is this thing that i don't really know about that's not really terribly original either (laughs) but it's a it's a jumping off point and it's whatever how they utilize it at that point be curious to see what happens could be another turd sandwich. Uh, next up, <laughs> um, I'm assuming none of you have seen the movie Don't Breathe, correct? No. Okay. Wait, wait. It's like brand new. I don't. The one th- that recently, yeah, the one that recently came out. Yeah, yeah. I did. Oh, you did? Because I went to because I did a course in LA right after college in the summer, and Jane Levy was in my class. Oh, Jane Levy is awesome. Huh. That's the one, right? She's the main. She's the yep. main. It, you yeah, got, with the guy who's Corey's blind. good with names. I'm not. But uh, Jane Levy was in a TV series over the last couple of years on ABC called Suburb- Suburgatory. Uh, she was great That's in that. Right. And she was also in the remake of Evil Dead, which was oh. phenomenal. Uh, so, what was Suburgatory with um, that guy who was oh, on a, Six Feet Under? Um, uh, Jeremy Sisto? Yes, yes, Jeremy Stowe, also Law and Order, and Clueless, if you want to go way back. I um, love him. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> kind of dreamy. He played her dad, right? In the, on that yep. show, Suburgatory, yeah. Yeah, he, um, he was very good I thought it. that was a very, like, I thought Don't Breathe was was very, like, it was good. It was a good, like, thr- thrilling movie. Yeah, it blew right up. It blew very well. Good. I, I, I watched 50 million worldwide for a $10 million budget. Oh, damn. What? Had a ten million dollar budget and earned one hundred and fifty million worldwide. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, uh, and and everybody in the horror community seems to universally think that it was a very solid film. It was something that kind of wasn't a remake. Didn't know a lot about it going in, but when it came out, it it hit and it hit well, and it it was timed perfectly. Yeah, I wish that they hadn't. I kind of wish that they hadn't foreshadowed her being dragged. Whoa! whoa spoilers bro spoilers i haven't seen this yet i don't really i have a shitty Sorry. memory so i'll forget by the time i see it spoil away but the thing is you see it at this, you see it in the beginning so it's not really a spoiler but i'm saying like i, I wish they hadn't done that they, they tend to do that a lot with and it seems like that's another thing that's very cliche is just seeing the the actress getting dragged like here's the camera directly on them and then all of a sudden they get dragged away um but still the the movie did well enough that obviously they want to do a sequel, and that's what this story is telling us, is that oh. a sequel has been discussed, the story's kind of been laid out, and Sam Raimi says that it's only the greatest idea for a sequel that he's ever heard, it's and a, he's not kidding. It's a bold statement. Wow. Uh, and, and bold. Yeah, and Raimi is... Obviously, he worked with uh, uh, Jane on the Evil Dead remake, but he is so interested in the story so far that he maybe is thinking about directing the sequel because usually he'll just produce. Wow. Now I'm excited to see the first one. I just missed that last part. It all was like blurry. What did you say? Uh, Raimi's so interested in the story that they've chosen for this that as it develops, he may choose to direct the the sequel to it. Oh, now I feel like I need to watch this. I haven't even heard of it. It was good. I went with Mariella. 
<laughs> because I have we have a mutual friend who we went to college with, and she and I took the class with Jane. That's cool. Well, it helps yeah, that the movie was I, good too. You know what I mean? Like I'll blindly support people that I've interacted with, even if it sucks. So this is like a bonus that the movie was good. Yeah. <laughs> And the writer-director, uh, Alvarez, is may not be able to direct the sequel because his next project is he's directing the sequel to The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, so oh. it is one of those. Go ahead, Annie. Oh, no, I was just, I, I, I feel like horror film, I mean, I don't know. This is probably a better question for Mike, but I feel like horror films, when they do well, like they can do really well with a smaller budget. Like you said for this one, like they had a $10 million budget, but they you know, they made 150. I feel like that's not always like, you don't hear that happening a lot with like a romantic comedy, but if a horror film is good, like they're the ones that go and like get a lot of money for like having a small budget for production. Well, I mean, it depends. I don't know what the budget was. Uh, If you consider the star power, then it obviously might've been quite a bit, but for something like bridesmaids uh, or train wreck, Amy Schumer's film from last year, I don't know what it was that went into it, but they they both really succeeded. But I think with horror films, it's because the things that scare us the most are the things that are very mundane and are realistic. Um, yeah, you can have a, a Freddy Krueger or you know something super fantastical like uh, Candyman or Hellraiser, and those things will take larger budget budgets. But the things that are, the intimate horror movies that scare you are things like Saw with, that don't take a lot of cost up front right. to be able to deliver on the terror. And I also don't feel like, I don't know, I mean, you'll know much better than I do, but like, is star power as important for a horror film? Like, I mean, this is like, like, wasn't Blair Witch Project one of those first movies where like, you didn't know anyone and it was done for so little and it was so successful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like... I don't think it is. I think you're right. What do you mean? Yeah. Star power is not as important? Yeah, because also even with Don't Breathe, I think even though Jane, Jane Levy has worked a lot, I don't... I don't know anyone who knows her. No, she's not like a household name, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that when you see the the star heavy ones, it's the remakes. You'll you see a lot of young actors that have been known for doing things, or the the CW actors that'll wind up being in a remake of Friday the Thirteenth or the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, and those aren't the ones that get the broadest success. One, because when you see the star, you kind of assume that, oh, I know this person from a lot of things. They're probably not going to kill this person. This is the person who's going to be right. the final one there. And I also, yeah. Go ahead. I also think the appeal is that that it's more likely that you're going to imagine yourself as that person if it's not someone you know as a celebrity, you know, and then it's scarier. Yeah. And and there's there's different levels. Obviously, when Wes Craven did Scream, Scream had a lot of stars too, or a lot of up and coming stars at the very least. Um, but when you, you when you go off the fact that Courtney Cox was in it and she was in the midst of Friends being the biggest show on TV, right? There oh, there's okay. something. It's a different level of film, and those films have a bigger challenge because they have to meet higher expectations. But a, a horror movie is something that it was made for the crowdfunded door. It's it's made for the people who are doing this. Um, on the cheap without necessarily having a huge production company because that's that's the kind of thing that you can get away with. It's a lot harder to do something like uh, Super 8 or Cloverfield when you have to worry about how are we going to budget this at the end. Right, 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 right. Cool. Spe- speaking of remakes, do we talk about remakes? In there? I felt like I built a segue about five minutes ago and lost it. <laughs> Either way. 
<clears throat> their uh, the the Crow remake rights have been purchased. I don't know how I feel about this. I have very strong I've feelings about the that. original Crow movie, and then every pile of dog shit that came after it. <laughs> But yeah, apparently after years of being in development, uh, the rap is reporting that Davis Films, the Highland Film Group, and Electric Shadow have acquired the rights to finance, produce, and distribute The Crow Reborn, which is a reboot of the cult classic. I don't know. I really well, like the original, but... This, this story has been... I mean, they've been working on a Crow reboot for a while, and a couple of people have popped up. Bradley Cooper was going to play the main character, Eric Draven, at one point, uh, Luke Evans, Jack Houston, And now, most recently, it's uh, Jason Momoa, who's um, from Game of Thrones and is playing Aquaman in the, the Warner Brothers films. And what happened is that this was already being worked on, uh, actively produced, but now some other company bought the rights out. And so does it have to start all over again? Do they have to like renegotiate with Jason if he's going to stay with it at all or does it just like completely hit the ground level at, at step one again it's a good question I, mean, I don't know how any of that works I feel like maybe our two guests know <laughs> I don't actually I mean I I'm assuming they would have to renegotiate because that's not the contract that he unless they're just like we're going to keep all the terms if you are willing to stay but I'm assuming that you know it wasn't it wasn't an agreement he made with them. Yeah, but- it's kind of weird to me because if you're working with one production company or if you're working, if your agent has a relationship with one company and then all of a sudden another company buys out that script, do they automatically get the same terms with that new company or is well, it, it also like- depends. Like if, I mean, I'm not very familiar with Jason Momoa, but like if he is with one of the biggest agencies, like with one of the top three, it's also very possible that he got packaged in it. So what that would mean is that like, let's say one production company had, let's say he's with CAA and one production company has a really good relationship with CAA and they're packaging Momoa into it. If the other production company also still has a great relationship with CAA, that's all going to already be negotiated when they knew the switch was going to happen. You know what I mean? Especially with these big agencies, like they have good connections with everyone. Um, I don't know if this is one of those things where he had to actually like go and audition for it, you know? (laughs) Um, Maybe. I mean, I don't know. They make big people audition for things all the time, but I feel like there's a number of ways that that could work. Yeah. Also, if you switch to a different producer or director, maybe they decide that they want to take it in a different direction and they feel that that's not the person that they want to yeah. fill it as, as their new vision. Yeah. And that that's kind of a, I mean, I remember watching, but I heard stories about it for years, the the behind the scenes of Superman Lives and and what went down when it went from being from one producer, director, writer to all of a sudden Tim Burton taking it over and him saying, I want to get rid of everything that Kevin Smith did with this and you know move over to this other person playing this. And, and development health seems to exist because... It, nothing just stays in one person's hands unless it's your project from the beginning and you own it and you're relentless with it. it right. When you're talking about these big companies is that it's just, oh, well, we had you on here, but now we're going to switch this over to this other person. Or we just had a shakeup in our corporate structure. So all these new people come in and they don't like you on this project. They want to put you over here or not work with you at all. And we're going to have this other team come in and do this. And that's that's scary to me. And that's the difference. I think what we were talking about of having a big budget film versus a small budget film where, you know, most of that stuff stays in your hands. Like we can just be ignored. (laughs) And sometimes it's not for any sort of creative sake. It's just for like 
wanting it to be theirs, you know, the new person coming in. It's like just wanting everyone to have been there from their start, as opposed to working with someone who was there before, which is pretty shitty, but egos. (laughs) Actors are very, very picky. A picky type. I don't think it's just actors. Christina, you you wrote your web series. And, <laughs> you know, it, and, and then you acted in it. But what if somebody had come by and said, we're going to we're going to buy your series. We're going to put it on to um, TV, you know, maybe get it on Lifetime or something. And now we want to make all these changes. How much of it is? Well, no, I want to retain creative control and, and I'm starring in it. I want to continue to star in it or. OK, well, this will give me a leg up into getting other work produced and give me the money I need to produce stuff on my own as well. Like, I, I, there, I don't think that there's a point of saying that, you know, you sell out just because you're creating stuff and it sells is not a bad thing. But is it something that some things might be so beloved to you that you don't want to let it go? I think, yeah, I don't think I don't think I would see it as sell out. I don't think I think it's so it's so hard like it's hard to be an actor like everybody i know has another job so like why would you not sell out if you i I don't know part of me is like why would you not sell out you know what i mean (laughs) um i do feel very very i think protective about it's like the it was the first thing i ever wrote it was the first thing i ever created like in a in a film web series like sense from the from with my friend colleen from like nothing then there was something which is like so magical to me. And the characters are also based on us. So it's basically us and, and, and pretty much everything in that web series has happened in real life to either one of us, mostly one of us or one of our friends. And I think I would feel very protective of it, but I don't, I wouldn't judge anybody if they were like, yeah, let's. And like, we, we tried, we've been trying and we have a, this um this deal with a company that's coming out with a phone that has a pr- projector in it um and they were looking for content to have on the phone ready when you buy it and and they contacted us through ITV Fest which is this web and film festival um that recommended us and so we're going to be on this phone that's coming out in January and then you can like project it onto any surface so the phone is the idea of the phone is that it's good for per, you know presentations at work or something because mm-hmm. you can just place it on a table or you can screen stuff anywhere yeah, so you it's, can it's walk an entertainment anywhere. hub yeah um so that's exciting but i think pr- i mean for us after a while we were just like i don't it doesn't seem like we're going to be making any money off this so this is just kind of like fun <laughs> that thing. And, and there's something to that there's something about it again with kevin smith he when he was going to do chasing amy he had his people that he wanted to be in it, and they were like, well, we want to put David Schwimmer in it, and we want to put this person in it. He's like, well, no, I, I have these people that I'm working with that I want in it. They said, well, it's not about making a movie with your friends. He's like, well, why isn't it? And yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that there's there's something to that. Kevin Smith does, has done things and continues to do things, I think, very apart from the industry. Like, he still doesn't have an agent. Um, we were trying to get in contact with him for Karate Tortoise and we were just getting his like home voicemail. Um, <laughs> it's hard to get a hold of him because he doesn't have an agent or a manager or whatever, you know? So you're literally just like digging up what you think might be this guy's number or calling the <laughs> production company. But Kevin Smith is definitely an, an anomaly. And I think that if, if a lot of artists had more courage and if our careers would turn out like Kevin Smith's, they would, they would go that route. But 
but I think that there's a lot of fear in that, you know, because I, he's one of the few who's gotten to where he has by getting to just do shit his own way. You know, a lot of young artists, when they want to do shit their own way, then uh, a network will pull their backing or producers will pull their backing because they don't want to do it unless they get to put a foot in the door, you know? Um, I, I was, yeah. No, 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 go ahead. I was, it's, this is making me think of um, actually another podcast that I was listening to um, called Off Camera with Sam Jones which he interviews actors and directors and writers and different kinds of artists, but a lot of people film. And um, he was, Mark Duplass was on the show. Um, do you, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he did yeah. um, the puffy chair and, um, and he works with his brother, Jay, Jay and Mark Duplass. They yeah, like always Mark, is, together. Mark is in a lot of stuff. Uh, he had an HBO yeah. series recently. And he's also an actor, right? Yeah. So yeah, togetherness. So, so, but the but what he was saying was that like he and his brother were like living in New York and they one they were frustrated and they decided one day he, he said he got up one day and he was like okay Jay we're gonna make a movie today we're gonna make one right now I'm gonna go get a tape and you're gonna like think of what the movie's gonna be about and they sh- they shot this seven minute movie about Jay trying to leave a message for someone <laughs> and it got into it was like seven minutes long or something and it got into Sundance. And they got a little bit of recognition that way. They like just like randomly submitted it. They were like, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but the point is that then after that, they, they went to L.A. And they had like all these meetings. All of, And after they did the puffy chair, they went to L.A. And they had all these meetings with agents and everything. And their, like he was saying that their consensus was like after a year, we were like, nothing ever gets made in this town. Everything is yeah. always only talked about. Everybody talks about stuff, but nobody makes stuff. And so they were basically like, we want to make stuff. So they just, they do their movies their own way. And I do agree with Annie that it's like, it's rare and it takes a lot of courage. But, and, but if you can do it, like that's the fun way because then you get to do whatever you want. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a lot of experience with this. I, I do comics and a lot of the things that I hear from people is if you want to break into comics then you start by making comics yourself. Uh, because that's mm-hmm. how you show that you can do the work. And then a company can pick up on that and say, oh, we really like what you're doing over here. Would you be interested in working on our stuff? But there's there's a whole bunch of steps in between those. And and then once you get in that that first step of like, oh, the company's hired me. But what happens now that I, I think isn't looked at either is you, you think, oh, I got hired by Marvel or DC and I'm I'm set. I'm good. But no, because you're used to writing things on your own. And having your control. And then these guys are like, well, now we want you to work on our characters. And our characters have 50, 70 years of history that you have to deal with. And we've got all these other titles that that has to tie into. And you have an editor who's going to want specific things. And you have an artist that you maybe not have a good relationship with. And I think with films, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, we love what you did. Now come do something for us the way that we want it done. Uh, or we're not going to pay for it. And by the way, we'll, we'll take a long time deciding whether or not we're going to pay for it, even though we have you working on things. Uh, the amount of, of scripts that are, we bought the spec script and it's great. And now we're going to have other writers come in and make it feel like everything else that's out. Um, so it can capture the same magic that some other movie just had, uh, instead of keeping the focus on what was great about this one. That, oh, that's so seems, frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> creatively, that seems so out of bounds. So many production companies will buy a, a script just so someone else can't make it, but they don't have any intention of actually making it themselves. That kills me. 
That yeah. kills me that, people do that you know, that you're just like buying farmers to not grow stuff. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, like that. Just, like, think about all those. The story that you thought was good enough that you wanted to buy so nobody else could make it. Like, think about all those. Sto- like, that's so lame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then, I think that, that B B definitely came out of being like, I guess this is more from like an actor's perspective. But for, for me and my friend, Colleen, we were like, nobody's hiring us. And this is the other side of it. Like, I think if you can be picky, be picky and like take that advantage and be courageous. Right now in acting, I don't feel like I can be that picky. Uh, but, but that's why B was created. That's why we created B because we were like, there's nothing out there. And we want to play the characters that we want to play. So we're just going to write them and make it. Yeah, And, and, and that's I feel like that's where Karate Tortoise kind of came from, too, from more of maybe more of a writing perspective. Like, I don't know really about Mike, but and that. But it seems like it was like he was submitting stuff. And then he was kind of, after a certain amount of time, he was just like, OK, well, I'm just going to make this because I want to make this. He yeah, I think was- that you had to break up. Oh, go ahead, Annie. I'm sorry. No, I, I'll just say this real fast. He, I think the thing with Mike was that he, you know, he went to grad school for film and he uh, was writing like these very like dark, like serious because he thought that's like what the world like wanted. And then he was like, I just want to write like, just want to write poop jokes. And like, <laughs> you know, he was like, that's really what I want to do. And instead he got caught up with being like, I'm an artist with a capital A because I went to like this MFA program. And they're like talking about art. And he's like, I just want to make like stupid shit, you know, that people watch at 3am, like completely high off their mind, you know? Uh, and I think that <laughs> that's where, that's where Gryadors came from. The old, here we are. The old fucking approach. <laughs> that's perfect. Speaking of the fucking approach. So earlier, Corey and I were making fun of the whole situation about fat hipsters. We're going to bring it full circle. Um, <laughs> last story, too, by the way. But uh, D. Snyder still wants to get Strangeland 2 made, which we did Strangeland. That's why we got called fat hipsters, because this lady thought that we were being mean to D. Snyder, even though Strangeland's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's not good, it's but it's I, I saw it a lot as a kid, and it was great. But whatever. Neither here nor there. You are also making fun like why does that make you a fat hipster she was trying to be me she was mad at us because i said some not terribly kind things about the movie and she was a d snyder fan and got wind of it and she was trying to defend d snyder by tearing us a new one which is okay you know if you're a fan of something then you want to protect what you're a fan of i i get that i completely understand it but she missed the fact that matt loves the movie you know and it was very complimentary to it but also we were honest and said it's still not the greatest film in the world no. we we're judging it from now when it was made in the 90s but and she also missed the fact that changed a lot not being a total douche is just understanding that people have different ideas of what good is yeah. but that that's part of the reason why i invited her on the show is to be able to give a counterpoint you know talk about it make make what you think about the movie a, a statement and and we'll host that we have no problem with that matt and i never say that we're right no. on our opinions we no. just say our opinions if you don't like what we have to say go listen to a different podcast i know that's a really out there idea but there's about fourteen thousand of these things go fucking pick a different one every podcast <laughs> program 
has an off switch or a skip button, um, or an unsubscribe. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not encouraging anybody to unsubscribe because we love no, anybody yeah. listens to us at all. We're, we're all very happy that we get to do this. And <laughs> we say all the time, this is this is your show. It's not our show. Well, uh, Any promise we get eleven, so that, we're on high hopes. Yeah. Eleven we're, people split up the show between. Can you yourselves. see how many people are there right now, or no? That are watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like four, but. It, no one ever really watches it live at least it's the, the downloads that matter yeah it, it's, it's more an audio experience than a, a visual experience Today, i like how he calls it an experience <laughs> like, like a, a bad foul experience yeah um so here's the thing is that we we did our review of strange land and it was arguably by some people's opinions kind of harsh but i think no, one person excited one well, yeah. random internet asshole it, we keep score though, Matt, and I can tell you by the scores, it was kind of harsh. Uh, but we're—I am excited about the idea of doing Strange Land two, even if yeah. it's just as bad as the first one. It's still—it would be nice because it has been a, a project that he's wanted to work on for so long that he hasn't given up on, and that there is a fan base for it. So I, I'd like to see that happen. And it's people have suggested, well, why don't you crowdsource this? Because this is the same sort of thing. It's like art is the the movie theaters or, or the the production companies, are they looking to make Strange Land 2, a 20-something-year-old film, uh, a sequel to that that did not do incredibly well at the time anyways? Or is this something that it's going to exist strictly because it's a passion? I think crowdfunding is the way to go. You know, if, if people want it, like he says, uh, if people want it, put your money where your mouth is. Make it happen. It's the, best way, to, it's the best way to do things. I I know at least two Work of the four people here yeah, can uh, agree with that. But there's no need for <laughs> production companies anymore. There's no need for record labels. There's no need for any of that when you can just go directly to your fans at your money. So if he really wants to make it, that's what he's going to have to do. That's what he should do. He should do because that way no one can interfere with his vision for it. Exactly. It all goes back to what we were talking about before. The old fuck it approach. Fuck it. Like- I'll take your money. You know, didn't he make that show that's like exclusively on his website and FX wanted it, but he was like, fuck you. Like, I don't want you putting your hand in the candy jar. Like, I'm just putting my own money in it and I'm going to put it on my website. Yeah. He's probably doing better than, I shouldn't say that. Maybe FX would have made it, made him more money. But if FX is changing it to something he doesn't want it to. Yeah. That's the name of the show that he was like, he just like put it on his site and was like, fuck y'all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is weird, because FX is, to me, they're pretty brave with some of their content choice. Well, they let him do whatever he wants on the show that he already has, but I've heard he has a reputation, uh, from what I've heard, of being extremely nitpicky with tiny things about wanting it to be his way. So I guess even with how lax FX was with him, I guess his experience working with them on his show made him want to put Horace and Pete just on his website. Has anybody seen that? I've never... Is it good? I've heard it's good, but I don't know. I'm too busy using horror movies. <laughs> I, I actually never even Lucy heard of it. K. See, I'm not I, a huge Lucy right. K fan. This is probably where I lose some friends. But You're not? No. Oh. Oh, boy. I was going to call you because you, I saw you drink that kombucha. <laughs> Like Louis C.K., so like I'm not totally no, sure. so I'm I'm not drinking it because I'm a hipster. I'm drinking it because of the probiotics and it helps my insides. Yeah, that makes you a hipster. The fact that you believe that these things help you, like normal people. Uh, think that like, you really want to get into my poop cycles? Because I have proof. <laughs> oh, Christina and I love talking about so we love it. Well, that's fine. I was drinking Metamucil for a while to help solidify my my dookie, and it helped for a little bit, but. 
don't know. Just I have no problem shitting. Like I, you know what I've heard? What's that? Bananas help either way. Oh. If you're constipated, eat a banana. If you I have diarrhea, eat a banana. You know who told me that? It wasn't you. It was Coley Calhoun. And I must have told you that after because my pharmacist friend told me that. Well, see, I've <laughs> never been constipated and I have no problem not shit. Like, yeah, but you're young. Wait till you're my age. <laughs> <laughs> and everything's just a trial. Everything's just like, well, here's what we're going to kill you today with. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> wow. It got dark there. I just wanted to talk about pooping. <laughs> it gets dark there, too. Are we done talking about poop now? Yeah, we can stop talking. Never. Never. <laughs> All right. Anyways, it sounds like Linda Carnalini is going to be in the second one, too. We're still talking what? about Strange Line, by the way. Oh, me too. I, I would, I that would. would be huge if, if she oh. showed up again, because I, she has definitely progressed past the Strange Line level projects. But it's yeah. awesome when you have someone that, that's reached that, that caliber of stardom that still will go back and do projects relating to their early work. That, that like, yeah, I... I started out doing kind of a weird, crappy horror movie, and I have no problem with that. I think it's great, and I'll do it again. Some props. She was so great in that in that show, not horror, but um, I forget, totally forget the name. With oh no, I'm looking it up. I'm t- terrible with names. Are you talking just, about the it, '80s show? Sort that? of recently, the second season. Hmm? Oh no, so not Bloodline. Not freaks. Bloodline. Okay. She's been on a couple: Sanjay and Craig, Bloodline, Gravity Falls, Off Camera with Sam Jones. All TV series. I heard that. That's the that's the podcast that I was talking about. Oh, oh, yeah. Shitty memory. Her, hers was great. <laughs> oh, it's I, oh, okay. It's listed as a TV series here, so I guess I'm assuming it has a video. Oh, it does. Yes, I've never actually seen that part. I just listened to it. Because huh. it's all about the download number, like we said, eleven shooting for eleven. <laughs> you all better right. tell us if it's true. <laughs> what if we actually get to eleven? If we only yeah. if we get more, never hear from us again. Um, <laughs> So you guys want to get into Psycho? Have we yes. this long enough? Yes. News schmooze. <laughs> hey, we gotta, we gotta keep Have the people abreast. Before, or was this your first time? You've seen Psycho. No, I saw it years ago, but it was kind of like my first time because I have a terrible movie memory, <laughs> which is which is bad. And then it's actually good because I can rewatch anything, and it's like I've never seen it before, so equally as exciting. Very true. There have been multiple times where I'll ask Christina if she's seen something in theaters, and she'll say no. And then I'll be like, oh, I want to go see it. And then she'll be like, what movie is that? And I'll describe it, and she'll be like, oh, that one, yeah, I saw that last night. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally just or got out of we were talking about we were talking about Bates Motel, and I was like, I don't think I've seen season three. And you were over at my house and we were like, let's watch. You were like, I'm okay with watching season three. So we start watching it. And like at the end of the first episode, I was like, yeah, I think I've definitely seen this. <laughs> this show is really repetitive. <laughs> I do want to, I've never watched the show, but is the show like just a longer drawn out version of the movie? It's no. a prequel. Oh, it's a no. prequel. Okay. It's different. And yeah. I was like, actually that was part like, partly why it was kind of exciting to watch the to me again now after having watched the motel to see all the connections they make hmm. or not i've never seen psycho before until last night weirdly enough i never watched it which is why it was so weird that i was watching bates motel and i'd never seen psycho but i didn't realize that norman and his mom were like that that the movie was not from their point of view that there was this whole storyline about this like 
woman and the money and all that stuff. You know, I was like, what? Which like, what is this weird storyline? Super badass. I thought that was, I think that's really badass. That she runs off with all the money. Yes. But you know what I was thinking? Why doesn't, okay, because I thought, didn't she steal the money? Wasn't that whole first scene with the guy, Sam, there to explain why she then decides to steal the money? Because yes. they, you know, because they want to like run off together. And what I thought was weird is that she never contacts him. She's not like, hey, I'm on the road and I have $40,000 for us. Like, where should we meet? Because then he would have been kind of like in on it and maybe all that shit wouldn't have happened. She forgot her iPhone at home. (laughs) (laughs) It ran out of battery. Yeah, a lot of things in this movie are automatically cut if, if you take into effect of like, well, with technology today, like, oh, the the detective called and told us that Norman's mom and all this other stuff and everything, but realistically, nobody would answer the phone today, so that would be left as a message, so when yep. they go to the sheriff, the sheriff would actually hear him say the stuff as opposed to them having to, to third-party it. But, yeah, I think what happened is that was her intent, was she was going to escape with the money and she was going to take it and go find Sam, and they were going to run away together, but she got super paranoid because of the cop, uh, because of r- almost running into her boss when she was driving out of town, and she started to get more cool. and more like afraid. Yeah, of like I don't, I don't think I have a straight line to just go do this. I need to throw people off my trail. And then when she trades her car, the cop sees her trade the car anyways, and so it does her no good. So she's already breaking yeah. down the money, and it she's still running. So I think that's part of what it is: is that eventually she that was. Her end result was that she was going to try to meet up with Sam and, and that's how they were going to be together. And then she she goes through this whole thing. And at the last minute, she decides instead she's going to go back and she's going to own up to it. She's going to return the money. She's going to go back home and deal with it. And it's at that point where the movie completely changes. So we're about a third of the way in, almost halfway in. And the movie goes about from being this one story, which is a very interesting story in and of itself, right, to something else completely. Um, which is kind of the genius of the film. So I have a question for you guys, since you guys know so much about like horror films. At that time, um, were there rules about how much like blood slash violence you could show on screen? Because the amount of blood when she gets stabbed, it's like somebody sneezed. Like there was so (laughs) little blood. I was just like, you stabbed her a million times. There's no blood. Like, where is the blood? Were there rules at that time about, like, how much blood you could show? It, like, it's still was pretty it- early on. And and one of the things is that the company did not want to make this. This was, no. this was sort of a crowdsourced film, except that it was Hitchcock was doing it all himself. So he had done uh, North by Northwest and I think another film, and they wanted to make something else, and then the actress had gotten pregnant and so there was a break there and he was more interested in doing something very different so he went to the production company and they were like no we don't want that we're not going to pay for it so he upped his own cash for it and basically got permission to use the people that were working on his tv series to come help with it um so this film almost didn't happen and then it got released and it took a little while but then it built up a lot of fervor and people were really into it and then the company was like, "Oh, we're we're happy with it now," but it it took a lot of doing. So he he pretty oh, much yeah. <laughs> took control After of this completely on his own. Yeah, exactly. He's like, "Great job, not listening to us. That's exactly what we wanted." <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't know, like the the building of the the house and everything, which still exists. I've I've seen it. 
uh, down at, at Universal Studios. Um, all that stuff was kind of on their own dime to do. And wow. Wow. The, the blood and stuff they used, chocolate syrup. It was, it was his <laughs> to do it in black and white as opposed to doing it in color. And it was a lot of it was he was just so frustrated. He didn't want to worry about stars. He didn't want to worry about all these other things. Uh, Vivian Lee took a, qu a quarter of what she normally made. She'd normally make $100,000 on a film like this. She took 25000 instead. Wow. Um, oh, my God. This is so crazy to me because it that this just means that things have kind of always been the same. Yeah. Like it, yeah. Because today that happens. And I, I don't know. I think I've thought like, that's a that's like a new phenomenon that actors like do indie films and take much much less than they usually do because because of I don't know like all these big production you know I guess they're not studios anymore back then they were studios but now they're these huge production companies I don't know I just think that's so funny that and like just like you're saying he he crowdfunded it I mean he he backed it himself that's so funny Yeah I mean that's that's the thing is that it, it is kind of something that's always existed is someone's always there. If you are the creative and you've got this vision and you want to make something and then someone else is the bean counter and they say, well, I don't think you should make that. And they're not speaking from creatively. They're saying, I want you to produce something that makes as much money as this other thing. And we don't think what you're working on is going to make that money. So we're not yeah. going to help you with that. And it's really and it's frustrating. it's the horror film. Yeah, it's yeah. Psycho. <laughs> would have missed out on <laughs> I also want to say that I feel like Anthony Perkins, that his portrayal of Norman and his acting style basically really stand the test of time. Like if I saw that in a movie now, like that performance, I would buy it. Like there was something about it that was way more like classic and didn't have a certain feel whereas like the women and and everyone else had a certain thing about them that seemed very much of that time the speech pattern and whatnot but for him i was like oh i would buy that performance like now um i don't know yeah, why I love, I, yeah I, did you notice did you notice there was a, one specific point pretty early on when you meet norman where he does some kind of like head movement i don't remember what it was but i was like the kid in the kid in Bates Motel, he 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 like really studied yeah. uh, this movie. Yeah. So there are so many things that he that he adopted that he like put brought into his character portrayal on Bates Motel. Yeah. And um and I love that he I, I actually I think that that was one of the things he brought to the role is that they were yeah. they they had things that they wanted to do and and because of the costs uh, Hitchcock was like well you can't do anything that's gonna have us make to have to reshoot or extend the cameras or anything else like that so his was to sit there and eat candy yeah and and um i actually think that totally adds to what you're saying annie that it's kind of timeless the eating when you eat and and also just like as as an actor like it's such a good um business it's called a business like to be doing some what when you're doing something while you're in a scene eating is is great it makes you somehow automatically more natural yeah because uh, did you ever watch csi miami when it was on mm. i did not okay so david caruso was horatio kane was the the lead on csi miami and caruso's biggest problem as an actor seems to be that he never knows what to do with his hands so his hands were either always on his hips or he would he would do the thing with the sunglasses but it was like he was always just looked really uncomfortable because he didn't know how to how to stand or do anything to look natural in front of the camera and eating is one of those things that we can all relate to we can all feel very natural i 
I would sit there and snack. That that makes sense to me that he's just like he's just grabbing something because it's a very natural act. We can all pinpoint exactly how. Yeah, that's I would do that, too. And I think that's that's right. That's a very good quirk to pick for your character to make you seem more normal because his character didn't seem weird until it got weird. Yeah, it wasn't one of those things. There was a lot of foreshadowing is like we meet him. He's like all creepy and like the the old guy running the hotel. It wasn't anything like that. He was very normal. He was sweet. He was flirtatious without coming off creepy. You know, he was more standoffish to when he thought that she was hitting on him. Uh, where he yeah. was just like, trying to be earnest, like, well, let me invite you up for dinner and let me do these things. And it was not even that he had a problem with her. It was that he felt his mother had a problem with her. Right. And the weirdest, to me, the weirdest moment was when he gets caught at the end where Sam is holding him. And side note, why was that woman just standing there? That bothered me. She was like <laughs> yeah, watching him me. struggling with Norman Bates and the knife. And she's just like, not doing anything. And I was like, help your friend. He saved your life. Okay. But um, maybe he was in shock. But his, but Norman Bates' expression in his, in Sam's arms at the end was like, that was creepy. That was like, for me, the, the, wh- where I was like, oh, he's like totally like gone because his face is just like, he, he just has like his mouth wide open. <laughs> he has his mouth wide open. And he's just, he looks kind of like he's in agony. And uh, it's great. Or the end scene where they close in on his face uh, when he's locked up and his, his mother's voice is in his head saying that they'll never believe that he did such horrible things and stuff. And when it starts yeah. closing in on his face and he looks just terrifyingly, um, yeah. it, it's a moment of complete change from him is like he was. He was normal and he had a psychotic portion of him, but we didn't really see the psychotic portion on his face for the most part until those two moments. You know, everything everything else we saw of Norman, yeah. other than a little yeah. bit of kind of like, okay, I got away with it because the car's actually sinking into the swamp. Um, he seems so down to earth and so just yeah. genuine. To, or to there's take one moment that. also where the... Go ahead. Sorry, where the, where the detective leaves and he thinks that he's like gotten rid of him. Yeah. Drive away and then he slowly starts to smile and you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I had never seen Psycho before last night either. Oh. I saw the sequel. <gasps> I don't even know you. Yeah, I saw I saw Psycho 2 a lot in the 80s because it was always on Showtime. Um, so I, I knew what to expect. And I it, it's Psycho, you know, kind of what's going to go into it. But it was it was a very weird experience. Also. Um, Vera Miles, who played Lila in this, played the sister of Marion Crane, is in Psycho 2. So they bring her character no back. And uh, and the woman that's hanging out with Norman in that one is her daughter, it turns out, uh, Meg Tilly. So it's it's really weird to go Wait. back to see this happen. Yeah. What? Meg Tilly is in Psycho, the sequel? The yes. remake? Yep. No. Yeah, it's it, it's. I love it's Meg weird. Tilly. I was in a show. Well, I wasn't in it with her, but Jennifer Tilly, her sister. <laughs> Understandable. <Yeah>. She's great. <laughs> She's great. Uh, they're both great, actually. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's weird for me now to see Psycho and to think that in 20 years time, essentially, they actually let Norman out uh, and they send him back to his home and the hotel. Someone else is running the hotel at, point, at that point. I think it was Dennis Franz. Uh, but like a lot of stuff that just you get to the end of this and you think, how the hell is this guy ever going to be considered sane enough to go back into society? But 
then they have three sequels after this, so it does happen. Oh my! What I think is is so interesting about the ending was, you know, when the detective has that, or when the the psychiatrist has that long sort of epilogueish monologue about like it wasn't him, it was his mother, you know, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I I was like, okay, that's like so not contemporary. Like we don't ever feel the need for epilogues anymore in movies, you know. Um, you just sort of leave it open-ended because you're like, maybe we're going to squeeze a sequel out of this. But, and so at first I was like, oh, that's so dated. But then I was like, actually, maybe it was so forward thinking of Hitchcock because I don't think there was a sort of awareness and understanding or attempt at acceptance with mental illnesses back then as there is now. Um, so instead of just letting people be like, oh, this guy's a crazy evil killer, it was like an attempt at like talking about mental illness. And so if anything, I was like, for me, I was like, oh, so if I look at it from a, a viewpoint of it was actually incredibly forward thinking, then it opened up the door for me of like having a case. And I think even one of the characters was like, are you like, you know, making the grounds for a court case. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, cause that's how most cases now would go is you try to make it sound like it's some sort of like disorder that they don't have any control of, you know? Um, right. so for me, I was like that epilogue actually sort of like, it would make sense to me that they would be like, well, he didn't know. And now he's had treatment or whatever. And he's like, okay for society again, you know? Um, <laughs> Especially because, like, many people didn't believe that he would ever do that. Like, the the sheriff or whatever was like, Norman? Like, no, you know? <laughs> and it's not like they were really that. I thought that was Norman. a great touch with that whole scene. And the wife who's like, Norman, he's such a sweetie. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not like they knew him really, really well. Because when they talk about him and they say, oh, well, Mrs. Bates. And she goes, oh, Norman got married? Right. Like, yeah, so, she's so excited about it, too. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, that was a little bizarre. the The thing with um with the mental mental illness thing is, I think that also is again, it paints the picture of this could be anyone, and it's something that you wouldn't suspect because it's not the creepy person, it's not the the obvious serial killer living down the street. Although this was based loosely on the story of uh, Ed Gein, oh. but it it's the fact that this is a seemingly normal person who has this whole other side that they can't even perceive or control. And it just comes out of nowhere. And that's truly terrifying. And that, I think, is one of the, the great things what Hitchcock did with this, is he he would attack people with things that were very mundane or that you just didn't expect. It's not someone chasing through the woods with a chainsaw. It's the birds around you. It's it's nature. It's it's your own fears or anxieties with your vertigo and stuff. It's it's that, I think, is very... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing what he, he pulled with yes. that. But can we also talk about how, like, how the fuck did Norman grab that newspaper and not realize there were 400 different bills in the newspaper? Thank you. <laughs> well, back then, newspapers actually had backing. Uh, people bought them, so they were much thicker. There was a lot more news and reporting going on. There was a lot more real news. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the local gazette. It was probably one of the big city papers. No, I agree with you. It, it's, it's I agree almost... with you, but also the way that I explained it to myself was that because to me that's like insane that that part of it, it I guess it stayed it stayed as part of the plot because that's how like everybody 
else was trying to figure out what happened because they thought it must have to do with the money. But I thought it was kind of crazy that he had the money kind of nixed so far, so early in the Yeah, um, for Norman, the money the way, didn't matter. Right. Yeah, it didn't matter. But for me, the way I explained it is that he's like, very frenzied and just trying to get rid of everything. So he's kind of, so maybe he's like, he's touching it, but his not, his mind is not there. His mind is only on like, get it out of the room. Yeah. If, if there was a modern film today and there was a scene where someone else shows up and says, Oh, this girl who disappeared had $400,000. Cause let's inflate. And, uh, and you realize, Oh, I killed her and I dumped her and all her stuff in a car and put them down the swamp. Then you'd see the next scene is that guy going back to that swamp to get that money back. Yeah. But that wasn't Norman's motivation. No, I just thought it was going to slip out. Cause when she wrapped it, it wasn't like she wrapped it in a way where it had paper underneath, you know, it wasn't like it was in this shape. She wrapped it just like this so that there were holes on the bottom and top. So I was like, unless you, you perfectly <laughs> grabbed the money with the, I rewind it. Okay. I was yeah. like, you grabbed the money with the paper. There was a hole at the bottom and top. That shit would have slid out. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, did people notice that back then? Or do we just notice things like that? Because all we do is watch crime shows and like CSI and law and order and all that kind of shit, you know, where we're always thinking about that. Like, when he was mopping up the blood with the mop in the bathtub and everything, and I'm just like, any forensic person could come right. Gil Gerasim would walk right into this place and have your ass, sir. Right, right. And I was like, stop, <laughs> what's the doorknob? I was like, you know, and then I was like, well, he does own the motel, so his fingerprints would be there. So I guess if you wiped it and then there were no fingerprints, they'd be like, but don't you come in here all the time? Like, why did you wipe it? But with the mop, I mean, the blood was like, it was like someone spilled coffee. It was so little. That's true. <laughs> but also, wait. Um, oh, no. Now I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, oh, oh, I was going to say, I also thought when when the, the, when the sister and Sam come in, that, that, that they were going to find some blood in the bathroom. She goes into the bathroom. I was like, oh, they're going to find some blood because he did a fucking shitty job. And then it was like this piece of paper. And I was like. No, but you knew it was going to be the paper because they set that up before, you know? You're like, it's got to be the paper that they find. Which was another big thing for the film industry. They did? I totally missed that. They never never had shown a toilet in film before. Certainly not one (gasps) being focused on and being flushed. Uh, This is the same time that men and women had to sleep in separate beds in films. Uh, So opening the film with her and uh, Sam having uh, passion and embrace and stuff, like that was unheard of, but the toilet thing got a lot of people wow. kind of quirked out because they'd showed that. But it was <laughs> it it you're right. It hinged on this fact that the the pieces of paper that he ripped up and threw down there, that one of them was found. And it kind of gave them oh, the evidence. True. That now I remember. Up. And that cone bra at the beginning. I was like, you know, <laughs> so out. I mean, I wear cone bras all the time. Oh, okay. Well, Fair. <laughs> um, I also Wait, two there two things that I really liked. I really liked the the whole time that she's driving through the rain. I really liked that sequence um in the beginning because it's really scary that she can't like when she looks out, she really can't see anything. Like the the water is pouring pouring down, which is really scary. And then the uh, this effect this thing that I really liked, which I don't know that I've ever seen before in a movie where when she's driving and you're hearing conversations that people are having in that moment somewhere else love that not memories not like 
her thoughts, not like repeated dialogue from earlier in the movie, completely new dialogue that's happening in that moment that that the character we're seeing ha- doesn't know about but that's giving us like so much information about the plot or like so much information in such a simple way which i wonder if that had to do with like him maybe not having that much money and not being backed by the studio that he had to like somehow get those points across but he couldn't like shoot the entire scene but i thought it was so good i felt like that was in her head i thought that that was kind of her her paranoia but realistic paranoia of like this is what's going on right now and this is why i have to keep moving and this is why i have to stay ahead and here's why i have to get rid of my vehicle and stuff is that she was picturing this is and it it was probably very accurate but uh what's going on back home and have they called my sister to try to bring her in i i kind of felt like it was a bit of both it turned out that she was spot on so it may be that you were right but because so much of this was focusing on can she get away with this? And as things started to go further and further downhill for her, uh, what pulled her to realizing that she should just go back and, and uh, face the music that I thought was part of that was that she was thinking, yeah, I didn't just get away with it. it it's it's going to get bad. It's going to get worse. And where can I go from here now that they're not going to find me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and another thing that I really liked was um, the bird's eye view shot of the like four or five carpets in the hallway the first time when we the the first time we see it when norman bates is bringing his mother down into the fruit cellar yeah we see that the landing on the landing the the rugs and then we see it again mr what's her what's her character's name in the in it uh are you talking about arbogast no the sister oh the sister uh that is lila lila when she's going into the house to see if she can find the mother we, it, it's this whole like really long tracking shot going up with her, going up the stairs. Then we see her go into the, the mother's bedroom. Then it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. And it and it lands right there in that bird's eye view shot. And you see that the middle carpet is missing because that's where Arbogast was murdered. Yep. So that's where he came out. I love that. That That's really astute. I, I didn't even think about that until you just said it. That is... That is 100% awesome. And and just the fact of how he filmed it anyways, because he was trying to disguise the fact that as Norman is carrying his mother downstairs, that she's not a corpse, that she's not. Yeah. She's, she's actually not talking to him, that it's him doing the voices for both things. Um, that was really well done. And that's the stuff that uh, probably above all else is that Hitchcock's visuals, like just the scene of Arbogast falling down the stairs when he was stabbed is so interesting. Because he's just kind of like, moving backwards um and and it's almost like he danced down the steps as opposed to actually falling it it's pretty incredible yeah almost like he's like floating down and then you see Which the maybe last what part. you feel like, like yeah um they had done a hitchcock based episode of the the USA series psych where they did that scene uh and it was it was 100% just like what i'd seen before but it's it's just so cool to see the original and realize how well they had done in the emulation of it I was glad I watched it. Yeah, thank but you for suggesting it. I'm surprised. Ooh, no, I, can I tell you my favorite line? Yes. Matt, you're so quiet. I have <clears throat> a cold, and I and the sun is now shooting me directly in the face. I'm just dying on the end. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, my one of my favorite lines was, he's. I think he was eating, and Norman Bates is talking to the detective, and he says something like, oh, no, like I changed all the sheets. Uh, I change them every week. 
uh, because I just I just don't like I don't like damp damp sheets. I think that's creepy. And then he like goes into some other room. Yeah. It's so good. And I'm like, you're fucking creepy. <laughs> I don't know. Just him like using that word to me was like so. Yeah. Like, damn, she creepy. You know, because he knows what's happening. So he immediately sets up that it's linen day, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I, he I just, totally he buy just into it. He throws it away. It's so yeah, I totally buy into it as the guy who runs the, the creepy motel. But that's probably what he was raised is like, no, this is this is what you do. This is how you keep your business clean and 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 he just seems so precise on on specific things yeah. that yeah it 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 maybe that makes sense to his mentality too is that he has in his head a certain way of order that things are supposed to be and it some of it is his mom in his imagination cursing at him but that's also why he was so freaked out by his mom having the affair where he killed them both is because it yeah. tore apart the order that was in his mind um which i don't know how much of the the show has contradicted that over time but that really feels like the norman that i saw in this that's what i would think well i feel honestly i think that oh go ahead i i I honestly am i love the show and i like it even more now because i because i can like see how how much they they really studied the movie and how much they were like dedicated to making it even though the show is is set in modern day. It's not like possible, you know what I mean? Technically, that they it was this was the prequel because it's set in today and they blah, do blah, have blah. iPhones. But, yeah, and they do, you know. Um, but but they really made a point of making it like I watching the movie was like so fucked because of all the stuff that happens on the show. Like if the two were actually if they actually were aligned, they actually were part. I would be like, yeah, I'm not surprised that he, like, is a schizophrenic or I don't even know. They, that that was it. They never used that word, which I thought was interesting. Um, but I think the show sets it up so well. Their really weird, weird relationship. Like, excited to see if, aren't you excited, Annie, to see if she, and I haven't finished the third season, so don't tell me. But if she, like, gets more serious with that guy. And then to see, like, Norman's reaction, because the story is that he kills them both. Well, that's the thing, is I think that uh, now knowing that he is supposed to eventually kill his mom puts a whole new dramatic thing on top of everything, you know? So yeah. so each man that comes through, you're kind of like, is the, now I'm thinking about it like, is this the one? Like, what, you yeah. know? Or are you going to have him kill her at the end? Like, you have to end it that way, you know? Like, because that's yeah. that's part of the history that the movie has established. Um, so to know how to... to I will be super disappointed if he doesn't kill kill his mom at the end. But <laughs> well, <we laughs> they can't. he's got to kill her. Not. What a thing to root for. He's got to yeah, kill her, right? and they've got to have him have... Like, I want to, like, see a scene with him alone in the house where he's, do, where he's doing her, where he's, like, being her. Yeah. Then after I me. Mean, yeah. Where that or where that kind of crack happens where he goes and and uh but also just in general, you guys should really watch the show because Vera Farmiga is she's, I don't know, maybe the best actress great. ever. She is she's great. And I saw the first couple episodes of the show. It was just really hard to watch. Like I I can handle horror movies that are, are more silly and more outside reality and especially in the the first episode there's the the rape scene and i cannot handle 
rape scenes yeah. at all. And I was just kind of like, oh, this this show is already making me hugely uncomfortable. Um, oh, yeah, it's definitely not silly. <laughs> but it, it it is good. And I mean, she was Freddie Highmore was also really good in it, too. So I I can't say anything about the quality of it. It looks fantastic for what it is. It's just not necessarily my go to like middle of the week watching. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, all right. Do you guys have a, anything else or do you want to rate it? Let's rate it. Okay. Yeah. As I squint, it's been cloudy <laughs> literally all day until right now. And it's. But you look really epic right now. <laughs> you look super epic. I need a fan to blow my hair. You look like Depeche Mode. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't sound queer or nothing, but Depeche Mode kick. Depeche Mode does kick ass. <laughs> all right. So we. Uh, oh, wait. I just oh. wanted to make one more comment. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, the music. Is fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's fan fantastic. And I like at the beginning they did tricks from him. What I said, Spielberg. You can see now, and Spielberg cites Hitchcock as being a big influence, and you can see the way in which Spielberg uses music. Uh, yeah, comes from the way that Hitchcock uses the music. Definitely. I especially noticed in the beginning. It didn't happen so much later on, but there were a couple scenes in the beginning where. The entire scene has no music. And then right when the scene ends, it's like strings. <laughs> and it, I don't know that it was a really cool effect somehow, because then you're kind of like, wait a minute, what just happened in that scene that I have to be afraid of? <laughs> right. No, it was good. Is the ranking this, the rewatchability, the story and the scariness? Yep. Usually I explain wait. it, but you beat me. By too. the way, the, the where, where is that? Film is the only one who didn't accept a lower budget. Wait, 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 wait. What? The composer for Psycho uh, is the only one who refused to accept being paid less because of the low budget for the film. Good for him. He earned his money. Yes. Yeah, so, as Annie mentioned, we... Where are we these categories? Oh, it's on the, the Google Doc I sent you before. Oh. You That's okay. He's going to tell you what they are. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what they are. Oh, okay. It's not like you have to memorize them. <laughs> uh, we're going to start with rewatchability on a zero to five scale. We always start with our guests. Since there's two... Annie, you can go for it. Rewatchability, like what? Like, like, do I want to watch it again? Yeah. How likely are you to rewatch this movie? Um, it's a little unfair because I never rewatch movies. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's just not something I do. Except when I was a kid, there were like three movies I watched religiously. But after that, I just don't. But you know what? Because I am watching Bates Motel pretty regularly, maybe I'm going to want to reference the movie again later to see other things. So I would watch, we'll probably watch it again once. So I'll give it a three point. I'll give it a four. I mean, on a zero to five, four is <laughs> saying like, yeah, I'm probably going to go back and watch this pretty soon. Not okay, like a, a three and a half. I mean, don't let me tell you how to rate your scores. But. <laughs> Christina. I would say four because. You're not going to remember that you watched classic, this tomorrow. There's that. Because I'm not going to, A, I'm not going to remember. You know what? I should say five because I forgot about that, but I'm not really going to remember. What are talking about right now? <laughs> but, but B, it's a classic. And C, I, I really have like, I, I love, well, I, I, A, I'm more, I'm, sorry. Bleh. C, I'm more interested, I'm way more interested in like the structure of movies and the shots of movies than I ever, than I used to be. Um, I think it's so fascinating. And I think, I don't know. There's a lot of junk out there, but the classics and the, the and people like Hitchcock or or Spielberg. Like I saw Jaws for the first time, With relatively me? couple. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the big screen, and there were some shots where I was like, "That was brilliant." Um, and so I would rewatch it to for like a little more for that to like see 
what I like, like the, like the rug shot or like, you know, like from above the shot or like where, what are the angles like and why? And like, what is he doing here? I think that's so interesting. And the other thing that I've noticed watching some older classics in the last few months, scenes are longer than they, than they are today. And the, and to me as an actor, that's super, I wish that scenes were longer because it feels like they can be more, there's like more room to breathe and actually like discover something than there is these days. The scenes are like two minutes long. Like, like, like in Bloodline, I don't know if any of you have seen that, but that show with uh, Linda Cardellini. Yep. The scenes in that show, it's a great show. The scenes in that show are so short. It's like you can't breathe. (laughs) And so I like watching older films at the moment to see those scenes and see how they develop and, and learn from that as an actor, but also as a writer. Yeah. yeah. And we, we talk about the audience today has a short attention span, but we've actively developed them into having a short attention span yep. with the yeah. way that we make films. Now, I don't think that it's films have adapted because of the audience. I think it's more, they've said, Oh, this is our expectation for the audience. And they would just want stuff that's snappy and easy to get through. But then when you see how successful television has gotten because it has more to breathe than a lot of films do um episodic television has gotten more and more attention and that's where people are going that are hungry for content it's because they can do the things that a movie can't do because it doesn't want to have those long scenes because it's afraid that people find it boring and get up and walk out yeah but like that first scene in psycho is that's such a great scene it's so long between the two of them but it's not like i'm not like bored i'm like learning something about you and i'm not just learning it from your word. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not just learning it from the things you're saying about it. I'm learning from how you're being together. I'm learning from like how you're moving, you know, to a different spot or whatever. So to me, that's very, I like that a lot. Also the continuous shot from when uh, Vivian Lee's character is killed and they, they pan down to her on the floor and they focus on her face for a while. And you could tell like, I felt for her how uncomfortable she was because there's water hitting her face still and she can't blink. She can't move. But then they follow that continuous shot and they move around the room and do all these different things. And it's all one shot. And I thought that was really impressive because more classic horror movies that I would think of would, she's dead, we would show that she's dead and then they would just kind of stop and move on to the next thing. And the fact that they kind of explored the whole room and just how the rest of it looks so normal except there's this dead body on the ground yeah. It was very impressive to me and very disturbing at the same time. Yeah. Corey, so five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, it's your turn. Uh, I would I would definitely watch this again. I think it would make more sense to watch it in relation to other things. So if I went back to the TV series and watched it and then jumped right to this, or if I decided to watch Psycho 2 again, because I kind of had a hankering for it last night, um, I might rewatch this right before it to kind of do that jump. So I'm going to say uh, three point. Uh, I'm gonna go with a four. It's a classic. Plus, you guys are nerding out so hard. I don't want to take up too much time. <laughs> uh, next. Wait, I have a question. Isn't there also a Psycho remake like that's that was remade scene by scene, Vince Vaughn. Yeah. like Vince Vaughn? Yep. Has anyone out. ever seen that? Nope. No. 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 That already sounds like a disaster. It's so a shot weird. for shot remake. Um, I mean, it sounds like maybe it's brilliant because it's a shot for shot remake, and the original is brilliant. But also, like, why? It was not seen as brilliant by the audience. Uh, it was Vince Vaughn and Anne Heche. Uh, Julianne Moore, who I love Julianne Moore. Ooh. 
uh, William H. Macy, Viggo Mortensen. So it's got a lot of really good people in it. It was directed by Gus Van Sant, mm. but it was not rated very high. Um, I think because nobody felt like it was necessary to do. If you're going to remake Psycho yeah. and just shot for shot it, you, you're just stealing essentially from Hitchcock. It, Hitchcock yeah, like how are you even allowed unoriginal. to do that? Yeah, it. I don't know. Like you would it, get picked out of college. It, yeah, it sounds like a yeah. experiment more than it does an actual, like, somebody with a budget made this. Yeah. Um, all right. Story. Story. Zero to five. I'm going to give a story of five because I didn't realize that the that there was this whole plot. I was like, all right, I'm going to watch a movie now where, like, Norman kills a bunch of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was like, whoa, she's, like, got the money and she's, like, getting hit on by this rich guy and she's like i'm gonna fucking steal your money instead so i'm gonna give the storyline a five Christina. i agree five for five for me Corey. well you guys are doing so much less to say this time around um wait can i just say one thing though of course <laughs> yeah that's why we that's why you're here yeah the only thing that i found a little upsetting is how the sister especially i mean maybe the boyfriend too but how the sister like wasn't all that affected by the fact that her sister was murdered when, when, at she's the like end when there the listening. psychiatrist is saying that she's dead and he's like no no she's she's really dead though you know and yeah at that yeah. point in time but up until that i thought she she still felt like there was maybe hope of finding her sister um yeah yeah i mean just, that last part yeah that I last mean, part she's was, like keeping it together and because she feels like she's still out there and she wants to find her um i like that part where she's like doesn't doesn't the guy like leave her and it's like i'm gonna do it and she's like i can talk to an old woman or something she's like it's fine yeah <laughs> yeah she okay, it, so it wasn't fine. like we, you mentioned that she <laughs> didn't help him when he was being uh when he was struggling with norman but it wasn't like she wasn't brave at other points uh it, the whole search True. for a sister was absolutely brave and then going to confront uh norman's mother in the house by herself was another sign of bravery so i think you're right yeah, she, was she was relentless she was relentless yeah she was just in shock from seeing the dead uh mummified corpse of mrs bates <laughs> and then right, norman because... running in with the wig and and just oh my God. fortunately uh sam showed it up at the same time uh Story, uh, we've talked before about movies where I think it's like it's one movie at the beginning and it's a different movie at the end and it doesn't work. Uh, this is the exact opposite of that. It's those two things. It's two different stories, but they sync together, I think, perfectly because it's not just it happens and then this other thing happens and it's OK, I've decided I want to make this film. This was a really good way to do it is like it leads you down this path and you think you're experiencing one thing and then something else. We did from Dustal Dawn. Uh, a week or so ago and i think that that works too because you start out with this thing about the two guys who are are robbing people and one of them's totally psychotic and then all of a sudden it turns into a vampire film um it's not quite as coherent as to why they make that change as this film is but i still think it was really fun uh so yeah story i think this is a good story you have, you have to assign Wait, it a number can you repeat which one which movie you're talking about from dust till dawn from dust till dawn okay uh, have you Quentin seen Tarantino it? and Robert Rodriguez? I've never seen it. Are you sure? Oh, it's <laughs> Annie. Has she seen it? <laughs> it's it's in my DVD player play right now. I know she probably oh, she's been watching it every day. She <laughs> um, uh, five. I'm giving it a five. I think it's it's wow. very well done. I, I give it a four. Just to be contrarian, basically. Someone's got to be a dicker <laughs> on here. The sun is just so bright. I I. 
pretty much leaning up against the wall right now. Not at all. Ways to go. Very out of my element. Uh, the last one we have is scariness. Zero to five, Annie. Scariness. Okay, so I really don't like being scared. Like, I hate it. I hate it. Um, and so I watched it on, like, the lowest possible volume with, like, all the <laughs> and, like, and, like, my dog and, like, my mom in the next room with her door open. So... <laughs> So I wasn't too, but even then I was like, oh, I got to turn this sound down here. And then like when she was in the shower, I was like, I know something bad's going to happen. So I'm just going to like mute it. And then I saw her get stabbed in the quiet. And then I like rewinded and like put the sound on because I was like, okay, she's going to get stabbed. Um, <laughs> so everything is scary for me. I will have to say, I think because of the restrictions back then, though, it wasn't too bad. So, so I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a four. Christina. Hmm. I'm going to give it a three. I thought actually one of the scariest parts to me is where she, where the sister catches herself in the mirror mm-hmm. when she's looking in the mom's bedroom. That whole scene is like, that was, I think that's one of the scariest parts because you're like, what's it, it, to me, the scariest parts are always where right. You know, you think something's going to happen. Yeah. The, like the once tension. she goes down, the tension, yeah, that the tension where she goes in general, where she goes into the house um, was pretty high or where, where they're looking the room. The tension was really high. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I, I don't, I like being scared by movies and I don't scare that easily. So I'm going to give it a three. All right. Fair enough. Corey. Yeah. It, it's unfortunate because it loses something for the fact that I've seen so many modern horror films and I've seen so many things that are yeah. similar to this. Uh, I'm going to give it a, a two because I didn't find it terrifying, but I do think that there's such great classic horror elements to it that were obviously introduced before all these other things that it's owed something for that and norman psychosis the way it starts to present itself is really creepy yeah i agree i give it a two also it's um it's scarier than a lot of movies that we have watched but it's still not like wait like what like what uh well i'm looking i'm looking at our sheet like we, we've watched idle hands that's not scary this crappy movie stitches that Corey made me watch that was not scary uh, we watched Grave of the Vampire last week. That was the only scary part about it was the fact that it exists. <laughs> um, the stuff. So I don't have the rank for the stuff. Leviathan. We did that with Jack. That wasn't scary. Drive angry. Driving the car in the rain. I was like, she's going to hit someone. She's going to get in yeah. a crash. Like, See, I didn't feel like, like the tension. Windshield wipers were shitty. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess they kind of yeah, were. so shitty. Wait, but I would give it a, I would give it a five for tension but a three for scary because there are such good like tense tense scenes in it yeah yeah well fine you can give it a five for tension and a three for scariness <laughs> we'll create a category just for you we, we often see that the scariness is a hard thing to rank on and and sometimes really we'll have to rank is. a movie just for how out of bounds they go with the goriness or yeah tension is a good thing to to put there in its place when when we've we've become We've come desensitized to it. I'm, I'm more afraid of reruns of Saved by the Bell. Don't Breathe is very scary. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. Now, have you seen it? Don't Breathe? Yeah. She's not sure. Yeah, she's <laughs> that's the one with Jane Levy? Jesus. Yes. yes, it is. That's the one I, yeah, I saw that. Uh-oh. We talked about it earlier. <laughs> Make sure you remember. We're just testing you. <laughs> okay, wait. I also just want to say that I'm so excited for um, the, was it Ke- um, Keenan Thompson? The movie? I forget what it's called. Good Burger? Did you see that? Oh, the one that no, no, no. That Keen- the one that's coming out. It's not coming out till February. Oh, Keegan Michael Key's new horror Keegan- movie. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Wait. Oh, is it Keegan's or is it Jordan's? It might be Jordan Peele's. 
Jordan Peele, get out. Yeah. Jordan Peele, that's right. Jordan Peele. Yeah, that looks pretty good. That's the one with the the guy who's dating the white girl and then goes to the her family sort of reunion yeah. thing. Yeah, that looks Wait, really good. Wait, can we but watch I mean, it and then come back on the podcast for that one? Of course. I want to see oh, that God, yeah. <laughs> Guys, I think it's a comedy. I think they're marketing it as a horror film and everyone's going to go and realize it's a comedy. It looks like a political satire to me. Like, That's what Andy said to me. We watched it together. I had watched it already. I was like, I'm so excited about this horror film coming out. What is it called? Like, Get Out? Get or something out, yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, and and I'm watching it with Annie. We're watching it on my computer. And she, at, at the end of the trailer, she turns to me and is like, is that a comedy? It's <laughs> a comedy. And I was like. We'll find out. No. I don't think I guess, so. I guess it depends on who you are. Because it could be terrifying to some people and funny to others. Very true. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. You can email us at potedgyandcast.com. Uh, you can leave us a message on the website. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Maybe you want Corey to be the host instead because he's far more interesting to listen to most times than me. I love you, You're just having a bad week. We love you. <laughs> yeah. just, the, yeah, the earth has opened up and shit so. on my chest this week. Oh, uh, but that it is. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at the podcast at podcast here, not the... Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcatchers, and you can leave us some feedback, five-star reviews. If you leave one, I'll read it, please. <laughs> yeah, see? We don't have as many as Jack also and Dan. Also, watch Karate so. Tortoise. Get yeah. in there. Karate Tortoise. Yeah. Uh, subscription options links can be found at gncast.com slash fuck. gncast.com slash subscribe. Find us on Facebook under the Galactic Network. Annie. Christina, you guys got to take turns, but where can people find you? Not uh, not all at once. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go ahead. You can, my my social media handles, I just changed them. It was really horrible before. It was, was, it your aim? <laughs> it, was not, it was not my AOL Instant Messenger uh, screen name. It was my like NYU email, which they just like sort of generate with a robot. Um, oh, yeah. So now instead it's it's Annie Chang is where you can find my Instagram and my Twitter. Um, I post like once a year. So there you go. <laughs> go on, That's not right true. Away. You've been posting. Yeah, a little more. <laughs> She's building up for the next 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you got to. Christina, how about you? Um, my Twitter, which I really never use except via Instagram, is um, at it's me Mueller. M-U-E-L-L-E. Oh, God, is your last name Mueller and I've been calling you Miller this whole time? I'm the fucking worst. <laughs> oh, I guess. <laughs> and then, uh, so my Instagram is also at it's Mueller. And you can also visit my website at www.k-mueller.com. Wow. Fancy. Fancy. I'll have to put that in the show notes. Oh, and you can also watch my web series B at www.betheseries.com. Which I uh, will, there's already a link in there. But yeah, when this comes out, there will be a link in the show notes for your website and your show. And, yeah, and we're coming out with more episodes with the final five episodes, I think, next week. Yay. So, Someone gets an Android phone and no longer can iMessage. <laughs> Someone forgot to turn iMessage off. Now they can't talk to each other. You just have to wait and see. <laughs> um, also, do you, so when does Karate Tortoise come out? When is it supposed um, to? I know it literally you just crowdfunded it like two weeks ago. We're shooting it in December. Um, we walked down the cast and we have some fucking amazing people on it. We've got a guy who was a serious regular on the Nick. Um, we have 
a girl who is a friend of mine who's been recurring and still is recurring on The Path, which is a Hulu show mm. with Paul from Breaking Bad. Yeah, so we've got really awesome cast. Um, so good. Yeah, I don't know if we have a release date set, but as part of the Seed and Spark competition, we've got to be done with everything by end of March anyway. Okay. So we're thinking maybe late late spring. We're going to try and shop it around and see if we can get distribution or backing and stuff before we we make it, you know, go online. So so I don't know. So stay tuned. It'll be there soon. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank both of you for coming. Um, sorry that Have I... A better- <laughs> feel like shit but uh, it's, it's life oh feel better thanks better. thanks um yeah so thanks again for listening to another episode of the podcast here and we will talk to you guys next time Woo-hoo. if you're listening to this and you're a podcast like two nerdy white guys talking and uh, <laughs> you know everybody the podcasting into if so, white guys talk i have i got a bunch of podcast a podcast it's uh two guys who are white named who are, jack and dan named jack, who are nerds. Are, <laughs> uh and there's a podcast we watch uh, now, that's the one, right? exactly yeah and we try uh, to figure out which way yeah uh good we, type. Uh, what was objections we take suggestions well, they subject us some fucking top and you can check that out they're all it's all it's at we podcast now how would you say uh, w-a-s-t we podcast.com next week we are joined once again by co-host of the geek cinema society nicole davis to talk about 2006 korean it's a korean film i realized halfway through there was no good way to play it there was i thought you were saying there was curry in it and i thought well that's great 2006 curry film uh it's a korean movie called the host i hope it doesn't suck but uh we're gonna watch that one so thanks again for listening to the podcast here and we'll talk to you guys next week stay scary everybody For listening to another episode of the podcast here, you can help Galactic Netcast pay for our web and audio hosting by supporting us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash galactic netcasts and pledge as little as dollars a month. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to gncast.com. That's gncast.com.